from WRHU in Hempstead, New York. This is Getting to the Root. We explore issues in depth and shed light on important topics that you won't hear on your day-to-day news broadcast. Covering topics of local, national, and international importance while bringing community voices to center stage. As vice dean of the Lawrence Herbert School of Communication here at Hofstra University, a veteran journalist with over 30 years of experience in both commercial and public radio, and the faculty advisor for this very program, Mario A. Morillo has worn many hats over the course of his career, and for nearly the past two years, he's donned yet another one. Since 2017, Vice Dean Morillo has helped facilitate the annual Global Workshop for Indigenous Leaders. Members of Indigenous communities from all over the world came together for the second time this past December in Ecuador to express themselves through multimedia storytelling. Mario has brought back four audio pieces from his most recent trip, and we are happy to be airing them right here on Getting to the Root. But before we do that, we'd like to welcome the man himself, Mario A. Murillo, to the studio. Mario, thank you so much for joining us, and could you tell us a little bit about this project? Yeah, thanks, Ben. It's great to be on Getting to the Root, and thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, the workshop that I did most recently in December, just a few weeks ago, that took place in Ecuador, in the Ecuador and Amazon, Sarayaku territory uh, of the Quichua people, uh, it was the second workshop. It's called the Global Workshop for Indigenous Leaders, which was spearheaded and organized by the non-governmental organization based in Bogota, human rights group called De Justicia. And they organize uh, international campaigns around issues of land rights, indigenous rights, um, uh, anti-discrimination uh, measures all across the world. Uh, and they've been focusing a lot on indigenous communities. So this is the second of... Uh, their workshops that they where they invited uh, about 16, 17 different leaders, indigenous leaders from organizations and communities representing Africa, representing Asia, representing Latin America and North America. And the idea is they bring these folks together to essentially talk and organize and share experiences and learn uh, strategies of, of resistance, etc., um, uh, to confront issues of displacement, um, issues of encroachment into their territories by foreign multinationals, all sorts of different issues that are that are facing indigenous communities. Uh, and along with the political and kind of uh, a strategic training that they give them, they also provide those leaders training in media and communication, video, radio, and writing, uh, narrative writing. Uh, 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 script writing and, and writing about uh, their experiences. So I was doing the workshops on radio uh, with about 16 different leaders from around the world, but also with the community itself in the Sarayaku territory, which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, you have done, this is the second workshop, you did a previous workshop that we actually aired on Getting to the Root as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that experience as well? Yeah, so that one was the first one, which was in December of 2017, and that was... That t- took place in Colombia. It was in the Sierra Nevada of Santa Marta on the Caribbean 
northern coast of Colombia, and it was uh, uh, the same concept. That last year, that year, there was 20 leaders that came around again from the different continents I described earlier, um, and it was uh, the the host community was the Canquamo indigenous community, one of four indigenous nations that live in the Sierra Nevada of Santa Marta. So it was the same kind of uh, process uh, in a different setting. Uh, um, highland mountains right by the Caribbean coast, whereas in in Sarayacu territory in Ecuador, we were in the jungles. We were in the Amazonian region of, of Ecuador. But they were very similar in terms of the the exchange and the uh, amount of uh, information that we that we shared uh, amongst ourselves. And we're about to listen to the first part of a series uh, of audio pieces that came out of those workshops, the most recent workshops that you did. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what kind of the goals of making these audio pieces were and what the process was uh, to produce them? Yeah, thanks for asking me that, because in many ways they were kind of rushed and put together. Um, and, And being there for a week... I was my brain was like running around like crazy because there was so many possibilities. There was telling the stories of the leader from Uganda or from Kenya or from Nepal who was there or the young Lakota native activist uh, Trent who who was like a 22 year old activist who was fighting around the Standing Rock. Uh, for the first time leaving the United States, leaving his territory and being in the middle of the jungle. So for me, just hearing the stories and their reactions to what was going on, what they were seeing there in the jungles of Ecuador was a story in and of itself. Then then telling the story of the workshop, this whole idea of why they were together um, and, and hearing those experiences. But then also just talking to the Sarayaku people, uh, a community that has been resisting decades of encroachment in their territories, particularly by the oil, multinational oil industry uh, in, 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 in cahoots with the Ecuadorian government, their, their resistance has been emblematic and has been used around the world as, as a symbol of resistance to those kinds of um, measures. And hearing and seeing that community, I've read a lot about them, I've, I've followed their, their struggle for many years, and being there in the community with them also opened up all sorts of possibilities. And then just literally sitting around in the night or walking through the jungle and just recording the natural sounds of the jungle, which is what they call the living jungle. It's got a symbolic, spiritual um, meaning to them, but it's also a really visceral, physical uh, feeling as well. Uh, the sounds of the rivers, uh, the sounds of the rituals and the music that we're, that they were performing with uh, for us and with us. All of those things started coming to mind. So essentially what I did was I said, okay, let me just try to do a montage. I did a set of four more or less 18, 20-minute montages that tried to tell the story kind of in an ad hoc way. One of the things I did as part of the workshop is I gave three or four of the participants digital audio recorders for them to kind of just record their own experiences, their own thoughts, their own reflections as they were walking through this unbelievable territory. So one of them was Trent, the uh, Lakota native who... Uh, I, he was very eloquent and he was t- kind of recording. So you'll hear a lot in the first section. Uh, we talk as on our way to the Sarayaku territory, but then he'll, you'll hear his flute playing and you'll hear some of the other things that he was doing. But I was also interviewing a lot of the leaders, specifically the ones in English, and then a lot of the speakers who didn't speak English in Spanish. And in order to make it listenable for an audience who doesn't speak Spanish, I had to depend on the interpreters there. So it was a lot of catch as catch can, and I said, okay, let me put some of this together. I think overall, the first section and the next three sections subsequent to that, you get a sense of 
more or less what this experience was like, but it's just really skimming the surface. And another thing that I just want to ask you very briefly is that this was a, a group of leaders from just all over the world. Can you tell me a little bit about the experience or at least what you saw in their experience of coming to these workshops and what they gained from it? Yeah, well, that's a good question because one of the things that the the, the Justicia organization is trying to do is show the commonalities. You have, again, uh, uh, tribal communities uh, d- living in the deserts in Africa, in, 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 in Kenya and in Uganda, and uh, there was a couple of other representatives, uh, one from Senegal. Um, you had uh, two representatives from Nepal. You had a couple of people from India who weren't able to go because of the visa issue, so those are the two people who didn't sh- get there from India. You had a representative from Mexico, an indigenous leader from Mexico, an indigenous leader from Guatemala. And so you think they're coming from all different parts of the world, but they're all experiencing similar situations, contexts, right, uh, in, in terms of protection of the environment. I mean, they're all, they don't call themselves environmentalists. They say their, their life, their work is to protect, protect the earth. They're dealing with issues around contamination of their water systems, uh, encroachment into their territories, displacement, forced and otherwise. Um, and, and so seeing them engage in, and 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 discuss even in different languages that somehow because we had interpretation etc um, was just an unbelievable experience and what has happened with the Colombia trip and the Ecuador trip that there's a, a, a whole network has been established that are communicating through WhatsApp through Skype through other communica- uh, forms of social media and communication and this network just keeps expanding to share ideas to share uh, experiences to carry out urgent actions when when it when it's called for uh, and even just to share photos I mean so so it's a really cool experience and they're hoping that they're going to do a third workshop uh, sometime uh, later this year as well so I'm hoping that that does come to fruition Wonderful. Mario Murillo, Vice Dean here at the Lawrence Herbert School of Communication, faculty advisor to Getting to the Root here on WRHU and Audio Extraordinaire. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, let's listen to this first piece. Saraya kurunachu, saraya kurunachu, tamanua islambu, aparinga kuraga. Urkusapi tunguini, urkusapi tunguini, tamanua islambu, aparinga kuraga. Kushi kushi runachu, kushi kushi runachu, tamanua islambu, aparinga kuraga. Urku sapi tungguini, urku sapi tungguini, tamanua islambu, aparishunkuraga, saraya kurunachu, saraya kurunachu, tamanua islambu, aparishunkuraga, aparishunkuraga. We're here on our way with uh, a whole group of people heading with the group de Justicia down the river Bobonasa, Rio Bobonasa, in the Ecuador and Amazon. On our way to Sarayaku territory, uh, Kichwa here 
in the Amazonian region of Ecuador and um, it's been a long journey from Quito to this territory. We've got another two hours or so on the boats but um, things are going pretty smoothly so far. I'm here with... My name is Trenton Casillas Bakeberg and I'm from Eagle Butte, South Dakota in the United States. Uh, I live on the Shine River um, Sioux Tribe Reservation and um, I come here to you know meet and learn from from the Sarayaku people and uh, stand in solidarity with their struggle against the exploitation of their natural resources and the encroachment of their ancestral homelands because uh, we're, we're going through something similar back home. Well I want to talk a lot about that but I want to get your first impressions now. Yeah. So, so, so your thoughts, we've been going on this river now for about two hours Long, long trip from Quito. Uh, uh, what's, what are your impressions right now? Uh, I really appreciate the traveling. Um, all of the the new places that that we go to in this lifetime. It, each each new place opens our mind and our heart a bit, a bit more. And um, there's a, there's a phrase saying it's a small world, but I mean in, in terms to people, yes. But like in the landscapes and stuff, this is completely out of my world. And just soaking it in is a, is very overwhelming but exciting and I, I feel that it's going to be a great time here. You, you were saying before that you were feeling like this, the forest, this rainforest this was talking to you, that it's alive. Yeah. Well, talk, talk to us about that. I think that it's an eternal being or uh, the spirits here are, have been here forever um, since long before mankind and will be long after and I think that uh, the mind can only comprehend so much but I'm trying to keep my heart open to, to listen and see if they have anything to say uh, or to teach me or, or us as a group. The uh, Sarayaku that we're going to visit, who've been uh, kind of at the forefront of the struggle against extractive industries here, they talk about this as the living jungle, the, ju the, the, the living, breathing forest. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, what, what do those words mean to you coming from uh, South Dakota? Well, we believe that the whole of the continent is called Turtle Island, you know, and that that the entire earth is a living thing, but this is more, um, it's completely different from what I'm used to, but I, I still, I, it's a similar belief to what, to what we know. And uh, I, I can feel it, I can feel the energy here when the wind blows by, it breathes new life into me from this place. And um, I feel as though ancient information here that just needs to be tapped into and then we're, we're going to slowly be downloading it over the next week. Mi nombre es José Gualinga, soy originario de, de Sarayaco. Soy líder, expresidente del pueblo de Sarayaco. My name is José Gualinga. I am originary here from Sarayaco. I am a leader, former president. One of the most interesting and uh, compelling proposals or actions that you're carrying out is this concept of the living jungle, the living forest, which has profound uh, social, cultural, environmental, and, and spiritual uh, connotations, which is not just, um, it's something that you're trying to implement and have pushed forward to con in terms of conceptualizing the, the forest and the, the, the jungle and, and the environment in general. Could you talk a little bit about that, the significance of that, and what you hope to accomplish with it? Bueno, en primer lugar, la concepción de Causaxacha es tener la, la convicción del espíritu de que hay seres en la selva quienes eh, son semejantes al, al ser humano. 
Esa, esa es la concepción fundamental que debemos tener todos. Están ahí, ellos son los que regulan la, el equilibrio de los ecosistemas. La propuesta de Causa Xacha en sí consiste que estos seres están trabajando para regular el equilibrio de los ecosistemas y por lo tanto necesitamos entender dentro del pensamiento y al interior de que estos seres no visibles eh, son quienes van tejiendo a través de mensajes, a través de símbolos, a través de ruidos y, y ese es el, el causaxache, el ser viviente, o sea, la selva viviente. Eso es lo fundamental para nosotros entender como ser humano. So the idea of causaxacha, the living jungle, is that there are in the jungle there are living beings similar to us human beings, and that these living beings are there and are carrying out a work, a job of connecting, of weaving together, of holding together. And the Kausaksacha's proposal is that we have to protect them. They are there for a reason, although we don't see them. They're invisible beings, but they are there. And we need to protect them because they are the ones who will end up providing for us. That is the proposal of Kausaksacha. Protect the jungle and protect those invisible beings that are very visible and that's what we have to understand in our minds but also in our hearts. They're invisible but they are behind what's visible. I hear Sarayaku, I hear hope. I hear people who have been through a lot of struggles but have remained strong to protect their land for their future generations. The community struggle stories motivates my personal desire and struggles towards the realization of the Sengwer community land rights, my people. I see and feel a lot of connection between these two communities. Both of us have desires to protect Mother Earth, to protect our territories, to protect our lives and the future of the, our generations. I see children play barefoot, fully, fully connected to their ancestry, to their present and their future. There's no better way to be indigenous than being home. We are with Yaku Felix Viteri Gualinga, and he's a leader here of the Sarayaku community here in, in Ecuador. And as we continue this global workshop with indigenous leaders, he's a, he's a head of international relations, and we're going to talk a little bit about the work that he does uh, here in the community. To begin with, if you can just tell us where we are. This is describe to us the, 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 the space that we're in right now, and uh, tell us the significance for the community. Sarayaku. Es un pueblo de, de, de Nacional Quichua. Somos eh, como 1.200 habitantes. Vivimos en un territorio de 135.000 hectáreas. Sereco está ubicado en el centro sur de la Amazonía ecuatoriana, en la provincia de Pastaza, 
en las riberas del río Bonaza. El río Bonaza es un afluente del río Pastaza y el río Pastaza es otro afluente de, del río Amazonas. Entonces nos ubicamos geográficamente en el centro sur de la Amazonía ecuatoriana. So we're actually a, an originary people from the Quichua community. We are the Sarayacu people. It, we are in total 1,200 inhabitants and we live in 135,000 hectares. The Sarayacu territory is located to the center south of uh, Ecuador. It's located in the Pastaza community. We are on the Bobonasa River that sheds into the Pastaza River that in turn ends up shedding into the Amazon River. Tell us a little bit about the uh, community, the struggles. We heard yesterday from a number of the leaders telling us about the, uh, the long history. It's not just a recent history, it's a long history of struggle uh, against many different kinds of incursions into the community. So if you can just give us, uh, I know it's a long history that you can spend hours talking about, but uh, give us a sense for listeners who are not familiar with the Sarayaku, uh, the kinds of struggles that you've been facing to protect this very sacred territory that you're in. El proceso de lucha de Sarayaku yo lo veo en dos fases. Primero, eh, la lucha de Sarayaku era contra la dominación o dominio de los misioneros y lo otro era la presencia del Estado eh, con bases militares aquí en territorio. A partir de los años, a finales de mil, a principios de los años 1979, empieza la organización política de Sarayaco. El primer objetivo de la lucha era en defensa de los territorios. Porque el Estado tenía planes de colonización y la gente, con líderes tradicionales, con líderes jóvenes que, estaban, que tenían ya un conocimiento global de lo que estaba ocurriendo en otros lugares de dominio territorial por parte del Estado, estuvieron conscientes de que era necesario I see this whole process of the struggle as if it was divided into two phases. The first phase is the struggle of the Sarayaku people against the missionaries and against the military presence of the state in our territory. In 1979, the Sarayaku community organizes itself as a political unity and starts defending the territory. The state has plans to colonize our territory and but the Sarayaku people, mainly the younger people, are aware of what's happening elsewhere and they're willing to resist. Talk to us a little bit about how that resistance developed over the years. En principio no se, no la población no pudo entender de que por qué era necesario la organización. Porque los misioneros tenían sus objetivos El Estado tenía su objetivo claro de, de dominación y de empoderarse de, de, de los territorios, de los recursos ex, existentes en el territorio. Entonces, poco a poco fueron, eh, la gente se fue concientizando eh, en base a talleres, en base a grandes reuniones, asambleas, congresos, hasta que se fue fortaleciendo la organización del pueblo sarayaco. Y se aprendió también de otras experiencias en otros pueblos de la Amazonía donde eh, sufrían de, de la usurpación de sus territorios, de los recursos naturales, del petróleo. Entonces esa experiencia eh, trajo a que Sarayaku eh, tome esta conciencia y también se interrelacionen con otros líderes de otros pueblos, de otras nacionalidades que llegaron a, a comentar sus experiencias y que Sarayaku se apropie de eso y, y para la resistencia. At the beginning, actually, the Sarayaku nation doesn't really understand. The people don't understand what this is about. The missionaries, as well as the state, have very clear objectives of what it is that they want. 
And it is through workshops, meetings, assemblies of the whole community that they finally understand what is at stake. And they're able to strengthen the organization. They learn from others, from other Amazonian nations that have already been affected by the quest for resources by the state and corporations. And it is through this, all this effort of meetings, assemblies, and relations with other people that they manage to get themselves organized. Sí, Sanián Vitamá. 
Thanks once again to our faculty advisor, Vice Dean Mario A. Murillo. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Getting to the Root. Our theme music is West Coast by Ryan Little. All music used on Getting to the Root is Creative Commons licensed. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at GTTR Podcast. You can also check out our full episode archive at www.mixcloud.com slash GTTR or find us wherever podcasts are streamed. Getting to the Root is distributed to public radio stations via PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. Learn more at prx.org. Tune in next week for another brand new edition of Getting to the Root. Thanks so much for listening.